Well, uh, you have heard of road rage, but I want to take a little bit of time this morning and talk about air rage with you. That's part of why we asked that question. Uh, maybe you saw the report recently on why air rage cases are skyrocketing. Um, in fact, if we were to family feud this, what I mean is if I were to say uh, top three questions on the board, here is the question. What causes people to get upset on planes? I'm curious what you would guess. In fact, why don't you throw some of it out? What causes people to get upset? on planes what would you say just wait I couldn't understand anything it all just sounded like noise you said something what did you say fear okay so fear that would certainly make people upset and you said something as well lack of space when you're all crammed in what other things people without their headphones yeah because people now just play on their iPad and you have everyone has to listen to it makes me upset too people who are smoking on a plane Oh, not being able to smoke on the plane. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, I am surprised that none of you said uh, delays. Delays. It's, uh, maybe somebody yelled that out. Um, when boarding is delayed, that's true. I would imagine the number one answer is when you, when you are having to sit in the terminal too long. Um, somebody kind of mentioned no space to sit, but the other one I think of is um, no room left in the overhead bins to put your things when you get on. Uh, if you've ever had that happen, you know how frustrating that can be. Uh, or, or you might say, have you ever had this happen where your plane pulls away from the gate and then it just sits on the tarmac for a very long time? long time. I've come up with lots of different reasons people get upset, but this article that I read said something fascinating I had never really considered. The primary factor playing into people experiencing air rage has to do with segregation. What I mean by that, this curtain right here that separates those who are flying coach or economy class from people who are flying first class. Many people feel some feelings of great inequality and it leads to air rage. Now you may ask the question, really? Come on, being in coach while you know other people are in first class, that is not enough to make people go crazy. And you're right, that does not cause it. But check this out, statistically, Air rage is 3.84 times more likely to happen in the economy section if a plane has a first class section than if a plane has no class divide at all. Get this one, 85% of air rage incidents take place in coach. Now you might say, well, that's because there's like more seats that are in economy or in coach. The truth is this study is adjusted to count for that. What is it about the curtain and the, and the different classes that cause people to rage? I mean, after all, first-class passengers paid for their seats. They paid extra. What's the big deal? I mean, I don't rage when I see somebody down in the front row at a Warriors game. They paid for it. Well, as those who are in coach watch people in first class get served meals, gourmet meals on China and with crystal glasses, they see themselves serve snacks in paper bags with plastic wrappers. And they find themselves in seats that recline just about this much. And when they do, they're constantly being kicked and need by the kids behind them. Uh, or if they recline more, the person in front of you is in your lap, right? Find yourself in an uncomfortable seat, squished in next to other people like sardines. But they know that in first class, those passengers have room to spread out, to stretch back and sleep. Uh, first class passengers, I don't know if you know this, they get warm, moist towels to stay comfortable and hygienic. Economy, we are left to stew in our own sweat. That's just part of the deal. You're lucky if you get a little wet wipe that you can you know, use to like clean off the tray or the screen in front of you. 
And maybe the moment that is most significant is when they pull the curtain to physically show there's a divide between first class and everyone else. Oh, and when they announce that it's safe to get up and use the lavatories, but you are required to use the ones in the back of the plane where there's a long line as opposed to the empty ones on the other side, just on the other side of that curtain in first class. Now, maybe none of that surprises you, but you ready for the next part? There is a situation where first class passengers exhibit more air rage. When an airplane is front loading and they let first class on first, but then they have to sit through the indignity of hundreds of people <laughs> bumping their way past them to get to economy, it increases the chance of a first class passenger outburst by 12%. So it's not just economy passengers going, who are you to put me back here? It's first class passengers who are going, who are you to lessen my first class experience? Anyway, all of that to say, there is something about feeling excluded and excluding other people that causes us all great irritation and resentment and sometimes anger. There is something about divides, about having an us and having a them that none of us like, none of us, whichever side of the airplane curtain that you are on, and yet we continue to create them in our world. We continue to manufacture these divides that don't always have to be there. We don't have to have them, but we continue to create systems with divides. Um, Disneyland used to have fast passes. Have any of you been to Disneyland recently? Uh, it used to be anybody who could go to Disneyland had the opportunity to get a fast pass that allowed you to go do something else and then come back to that ride at a later time and move to the front of the line. They had this for over 20 years. Now, if you want to move to the front of the line, you have to pay extra for the privilege. There's a divide, those who can afford that, those who can't. And then like the majority of us who can't afford Disneyland at all, there's a divide. Uh, sure, everyone can go on Space Mountain, it's just you wait two hours and that person only has to wait 15 minutes. Everyone hates the system, even those who pay for it, and yet we continue to make divides in our world. And maybe there's no place that does this more than religion. And unfortunately, I'll say than the church than those who wanna be following Jesus. All right, can we be honest? And can we just confess that historically, the church has found a way to create a divide and basically to exclude people for any number of reasons to decide who's allowed to be in and who has to be out. When I say any number of reasons, I, I mean any number of reasons. The color of someone's skin, uh, what gender someone is, women have been excluded, age has excluded people, spiritual maturity has excluded people, politics have excluded people, income level has excluded people, what you wear even, all of these have been things that the church has determined, has used to determine who's in and who's out. And, and maybe as you hear that, you might think, yes, and I disagree with all of those things. I don't think that the church should exclude people for any of those reasons. And aren't most of those things things of the past? Good for you. You get it. And yet, while many of those are things of the past, there are new things today that cause us to exclude. Exclusion doesn't seem to ever go away. Um, as a person who spent most of my adult life studying the Bible, I get why the church has ended up that way. 
Because a good chunk of the Old Testament is about God telling his people, you should separate from the rest of the world. You should be separate. Here is exactly how you should live. This is how you will know who is in and who is out. Separation, exclusion, divide, it is a big theme in the Old Testament. But the thing is, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus changes everything. Jesus tears down the barriers to himself and to God's grace. He starts inviting everyone to the party that is life with God. And I'll tell you, so much of what we see in the New Testament are church leaders trying to help people understand, or I should say God trying to help people understand that in the church, there should not be an in and an out, that the family of God is for everyone. Um, Would you say that with me? The family of God is for everyone. Now, I wonder how you feel this morning hearing me say that. Um, If you're somebody who has felt excluded at times, or maybe you walk in here and you worry, you know, if people knew who I really am, they would never let me in the door. Maybe you hear that and you say, oh my gosh, I feel hopeful, skeptical, but hopeful that there's a place for me at Crosswinds, that there's a place for me in the church at large. Or maybe you hear me say that and it has not been your experience to be excluded, to feel excluded, but you know that it's somebody else's in your life and and your heart is tender toward that person this morning and you're a little bit excited that we're talking about this because you've got some people, you've got some people you know need God's grace and they need Jesus and you want this to be a place where they can find him that, that pulls down the barriers that would keep them from knowing him. Maybe as you hear me say that this morning, you get uncomfortable. And you think, yes, everyone should be welcome in the church. Everybody needs grace, everybody needs Jesus, and the reason that they need him is so that they can stop acting the way they're acting and act more like me. Now you're uncomfortable because you wonder, well, okay, but does anything go? Does, does, does grace turn following Jesus into a free-for-all where there are no absolutes? I mean, what's the point outside of salvation? Aren't we supposed to be coming more like Jesus day by day, week by week, year by year? Isn't some exclusion okay if if people aren't willing to follow God as I understand God wants us to follow him? And I I think today will be especially important for you because maybe God has something for you today about what it means to, to open the doors wide and welcome whoever, whoever it is that God puts in your path. I think, I think God has a lot for all of us today. I, I think it's pretty revolutionary in this world that we live in that is repelled by divides, but somehow continues to create new ones. What if the Bible has a story for us about including everybody? Well, I wanna look at a moment we find in the book of Acts. Um, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Philip, has turned into a preacher and a church starter, and he's out telling people about Jesus. And we find in Acts 8, verse 26, we'll put these up on the screen. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip gets a message from God, says that an angel appears to him. Real quick, uh, the Greek word used for angel is the same word that is used for messenger in the Bible. They're, they're the same word because angels were messengers. 
Uh, by the way, in the New Testament, when we say angels, like the one appearing to Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, you know, when she's about to give birth or appearing to Joseph, uh, the angel is giving them a message. But those stories describe a little bit more, and that's how we know those are angels in that word. This story, it just says the Greek word angelos. And so some translations say angel of God, others say messenger of God. Point is, Philip hears from God, gets a message one way or another. And it tells him, go south on the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert road. Now, real quick, this was not a typical route. Like that is not anywhere that Philip would normally have been going. Nobody would take that. He's being instructed by God to go out of the way to go on that road, and he doesn't know why. But Philip is obedient. God must have something in store for him on this road. Verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Okay, this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, had come to Jerusalem to worship, and that is unusual. Somehow in Ethiopia, where he's a high-ranking official working for the queen, this man has become a follower of God. Yahweh, who we talked about last series, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he has converted to Judaism. And, and that is important to know because as a convert, as a Gentile, as somebody who was not born Jewish, if he wanted to go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple, which apparently this man did, it says he was coming from there, if he wanted to go to the temple, he would not have been allowed to go any further into the temple than this area called the Court of the Gentiles. See, the temple had certain places that only certain people could go, each place getting progressively exclusive. Like when you first walked in, you could go into the court of Gentiles. That's where pretty much everyone could get in. Foreigners, people who were considered impure. By the way, this is the section where Jesus chases out the money changers, the court of the Gentiles. And then further in was the next court. It was called the court of women. How wonderful. Women got their own court to hang out and do women things? No. <laughs> it was called that because men were allowed in this court too. It's just that women weren't allowed to go beyond this court. Real quick, by the, by the way, that's something we do now in our world of divides. I'm excluding you, but I'm not really excluding you because you got your own court, right? Okay, the next intersection was called the court of Israel. That's where only Jewish men could go. And then there was the court of the priests, where only priests could go, and they would perform ceremonies. And then finally, the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could go, only the high priests. But back, back to the Ethiopian man, he would only have been allowed into the court of the Gentiles, because we want to welcome Gentiles who want to worship our God too, if they're willing to convert and pay the temple tax, of course we'll take them. So it's likely that this Ethiopian man had converted was following God, and he went to Jerusalem to participate in something that fellow followers of God all got to do and found out when he got there. He was going to have to do it from a different section of the temple, a different section of the plane, economy class. Now, there's one other important thing we read about this person. It says that he was a eunuch. 
And there's a little bit of debate today about what a eunuch was, but most scholars understand that a eunuch was a person who was born male and as a boy, for whatever reason, was selected to someday be placed into the service of the king or the queen when they grew up. And because they were gonna work for the king or the queen, they would be castrated as a boy before they hit puberty. This was not elective, mutilated preventing them from gaining the testosterone that they would have needed to gain to fully form as a man. Why would anyone mutilate a boy like that who was gonna serve the royal family? Well, because if you don't form physically or hormonally, then I don't need to worry about you around my harem or my concubine. That is the real reason. By the way, this was not a practice in Israel among God's people. Again, this man was from another country. Well, here's why this matters. You know how I told you there was a court of the Gentiles? If this man were a literal eunuch, he wouldn't even have been allowed to go into the court of the Gentiles. They had a law in Israel. You can read it in Deuteronomy 23. I'll put it up. It's just, if that stuff happened to you, you were not allowed in at all, all right? Well, how would they know that this happened to you? How would whoever polices who gets into what section of the temple know that this guy was a eunuch? Because again, if you were castrated before puberty, it prevents the shift from boy to man. Historic records have said that eunuchs had some women-like appearances, uh, such as uh, no facial hair and large breasts and, and big hips and a, a voice that never changed. Um, if you're a 40-year-old, old man that appears like that, they knew. Now imagine this. This guy had such a desire to seek God in his heart that he would travel 1,000 miles one way in a chariot that only went about 30 miles a day. It would have taken him over a month on hot, dusty roads. He went way out of his way to seek God, and chances are good, when he arrived in Jerusalem and tried to go into the temple, he was not allowed. This was an economy class. He wasn't even allowed to get on the plane. Look again at verse 28. He was returning home, it says. You can imagine that he left disappointed and disillusioned and, and too many barriers keeping him out and too many things disqualifying him from participating in the life and the worship of a true disciple. He has been excluded. And it says that on his way home, he is still reading the scriptures. He is reading the book of Isaiah, verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. I love that Philip runs to the chariot. He cannot wait to see what God is gonna do. Why is God telling me to go to this chariot? Maybe I'm about to find out why he sent me on this God-forsaken road. Wait, he's reading Isaiah and he looks Ethiopian. He must be a Gentile. I'll ask him if he understands what he's reading. Do you understand it? Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about in this passage, himself or someone else? And then 
Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip tells the Ethiopian eunuch the good news about Jesus. Think about that. He does not say, I won't tell a person who's not a Jew like me. I won't tell a black man from Ethiopia. I won't tell somebody who's probably an outcast. I mean, he's been castrated. He doesn't say, I can't tell this man the good news. He's out of my social class. No, Philip ran to the chariot saying, God, who might you have me preach the good news to next? And right here, we learn the first thing God would have us know about divides that get created in this world and get, get created by the church, by religion. What makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Let me say that again. What makes the gospel offensive is not who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Um, have you ever heard people talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and say the gospel is supposed to be offensive? I've been hearing it my whole life, and I get it. I get why people say that. Because at the core of the gospel, I have to recognize that I'm a sinner. And theoretically, if I'm telling you the gospel, I have to tell you that you are a sinner and that you need God's forgiveness and that might offend somebody who thinks they're a pretty good person, right? But the truth is, I don't know many people who deny that they sin, other, other than Christians. I don't know many people who deny that they sin. Um, this offensive thing that I have to tell people that they sin, that they already know that about themselves. And I get to follow it with good news, which is, which is why it's called the good news, that God loves them enough to forgive them. Good news. I was thinking about this. If anything is offensive about that message, maybe, maybe it's that God leaves unforgiven people out of heaven. People who choose not to seek forgiveness in his grace. Even that, I don't even know if that's as offensive as we think. Um, you all saw the guy, I presume, who was arrested on Long Island a few weeks ago presumed to be a serial killer, murders going back 15 years. Most people I know would not be offended if you suggested he might not be in heaven. No, what's offensive about the gospel is the opposite, that he might someday be forgiven. That God's grace is for everyone willing to repent and make God the leader of their life. What's offensive is who God lets in. This Ethiopian has likely been rejected by his fellow followers in Jerusalem. This person who everyone else rejected is invited to begin a relationship with Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It sounds as if Philip told him the good news about Jesus and he got all the way through to the part where you talk about baptism and look at the question the man asks. Here is water, what is standing in the way of me being baptized? That is such an interesting way to word it. Why not say, here's water, baptize me. Or, hey, there's some water. Can I get baptized? What do I need to do to get baptized? Is there a class I go to or a meeting with a pastor? Or what do I do? No, he says, what is standing in the way of me getting baptized? It's as if he thinks something might be in the way. I'm Ethiopian. I've been castrated. I'm different. But he so wants baptism. Why? Why is that such a big deal to him? We have talked about baptism three other services this year. 
this clear water thing we're doing was, was a thing that we decided to spread out once a quarter since last August, four times this year, we decided to teach on baptism. And you, you've heard three of the reasons why someone in the Bible might have wanted to get baptized. Um, what we heard the first time we spoke about this is because baptism gives you a new identity. And even this man we're reading about today wanted a new identity. He wanted a new name. In the second week, we explained baptism is when you get adopted as a son or daughter of God. And this man wanted to be a son of God. And the third week was Easter, where, where we buried part of ourselves in this auditorium right here, and we watched as God brought about new life. He gave new life through the resurrection, and then we celebrated through the ringing of the bell. Some of you still have your bells. The sound of new life. This man here, he wanted life. But here, here, here is the fourth reason he might want to be baptized. Because baptism, baptism is how I know that I am welcomed and included in the family. I am different, and I am an outcast, and I'm not really fit in anywhere, and I've been turned away from things because of who I am. Philip, are any of those things about me going to stand in the way of me being baptized or or me doing this thing that signifies me being included as one of God's people, part of the family. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. Sir, the only requirement, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what's been done to you, it doesn't matter what you chose yesterday, it's not gonna matter what you choose to do tomorrow. The only requirement is that you believe. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Real quick, it's worth me explaining what believe means in this context. Because belief is not just mere intellectual understanding. Or here, even convincing yourself of something that you feel is kind of far-fetched. Belief is not the thing that happens in Peter Pan, where Peter asks us to believe in fairies and clap, and if we all do it loud enough, Tinkerbell comes back to life. Belief here means put your faith in something. It means trust. That, that even if I don't entirely understand, even if I doubt and I can't be fully convinced, I put my trust in Jesus to save me and to lead me. That is the ultimate faith. When you don't have certainty and you still choose to follow Jesus. Just say, if you are sitting here today and you're saying, I wish, I wish that I could believe like the Bible says, what it says, like the rest of these people around here, but it's not me. I can't make my brain believe. You need to know, God is not asking you to make your brain believe something it doesn't. He is inviting you to trust him with control of your life. That's what faith is, giving him control trusting, and you can do that. You can follow God's leadership even when you're not certain. The man says, I believe. I will put my faith in Jesus. I will trust and obey Jesus. In verse 38, the man gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I want to invite you to watch this video. My name is Wade Kemp, and I've been at Crosswinds. We've been there for quite a, quite a few years. Well, my story and my journey on uh, getting baptized started uh, a few years back. 
Um, and it was on Christmas Eve, and I was out at church, and I was standing there for quite some time, and I didn't know what to do. And I heard a voice in, in the background say, you know, if you're willing to accept His grace, He will give it. And that it started from there. Um, we started going more church, and you know, because I was a little reluctant at first, and you know, I've done some, you know, bad things in my life, not horribly wrong, but um, I actually learned that God does forgive. And then with the baptismal part, um, my wife Lisa got baptized, and I got baptized about a year later. And I, I'm the type of person I don't like to be pressured into things, so. Yeah, I had some hesitancies. I, you know, I didn't really know if I wanted to be baptized. And I was baptized as a, as a baby, a, a, an infant. When you're a baby, you don't, you don't know why you're being baptized. And I think you, you, know, you really should have a choice in that matter. And that's really what prompted me to, uh, to get baptized. Um, and I saw my wife do it and I saw the change in her and I said, you know, this can't be a bad thing. It's got to be a good thing. Years later, I decided, you know, why am I being baptized? What does it mean? And, you know, if you look it up, it means to immerse. So I generally, you know, generally looked at that and I said, yeah, I, I definitely want to immerse myself in Jesus Christ and, you know, in God and because they are our saviors. When I finally decided to do it, I reached out to Jody and I said, yeah, let's do it. And um, we got, I got baptized on Easter Sunday. And, and when I did it that day, uh, Derek and Jody were there and she asked me if I, uh, you know, was willing to accept Jesus Christ and, you know, as, as, as my savior. And I said, absolutely, 100% with open arms. And from that day forward, I think it's been the, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I mean, I've done a lot of things, but being baptized and truly knowing what being baptized means was a blessing to me and um, the only thing I can do is go forward I'm never gonna look back and you know God and Jesus they're, they're great you know and if you don't have them in your life you need them in your life because they will make you fulfilled and it does come full circle Jesus and God they have my back and they got your back too some of you have not made that choice yet to be baptized to take that step and and I wonder maybe if you feel a little bit like an outsider. And I don't know, maybe you even prefer that. I get it. Wasn't Groucho Marx who said, I don't want to be a member of any club that would have me? I feel that way about almost everything I've ever been a part of. But I need to tell you, baptism isn't about membership. By the way, our church doesn't even have formal membership. Baptism is about you saying God includes me, even me, even me, in his grace, in his family. And I want to challenge you today. If you haven't done that yet, what in the world are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to happen to know that God wants to include you in his family? You don't have to wait until you're somebody else. Baptism is the moment where we say, even as you are, you are included. Um, I want to ask you to do something with me. In the seat pockets in front of you today are these cards with QR codes. Would you just pull them out together? Just get one out. You don't have to do anything with it. Just pull it out. And uh, the, the, the code on there at the very bottom that says, I have decided, uh, I have decided, if you scan that with your phone, it'll take you to a little online form that says, I want more information about. You're not saying I decided anything other than I have decided I want more information about baptism. You can check the baptism box. And if you check it and let us know how to get a hold of you and, 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 and send it to us, our associate pastor Jody, who you've seen up here before, Jody will contact you 
and she'll tell you more. And, and, and again, you're not signing up to be baptized, you're just saying, I've decided I want more information. Okay, for you, for some of you, that is your next step. That is the thing that is standing in the way. If you feel like God is including even you in his forgiveness, in his grace. By the way, another option, if you don't wanna do this card scan, just come talk to me or Jody. We'll be in the connection corner afterwards. We'd love to explain what baptism around crosswinds is to you. All right, verse 39. It says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. The Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way home. And I'll just tell you, church tradition is that he is the one who spread the gospel throughout Africa. That the continent heard about Jesus because this man was included. This man, because he was included, many other people were included. Now here's my question. Why would God send Philip out of his way to go preach to the Ethiopian eunuch? Surely there could have been somebody else who would have done that. And why, better question, why even record that story here in Acts? I mean, lots of people heard about Jesus and were baptized. Why does this story appear? Maybe it's so that we people today, 2,000 years later, would know this, that God who prepared the gospel for all people has also prepared all people for the gospel. All people for the gospel every single one, and there is no divider in his kingdom, there is no curtain, there is no first class and coach, there are only people, each one, whom God has prepared for the good news of Jesus. There is no one you lock eyes with that does not matter to God. Now what does that mean for you and me? What, what is our job in all of this? Okay, knowing that the church just seems to fall into creating divisions sometimes, our job is to remove all barriers, all barriers that would make people think that the gospel was not prepared for them, that Jesus gave his life for somebody else, not them. And so as we close, I'll just readdress you the way that I did 25 minutes ago. There are some of you here today who have felt excluded at times in your life for whatever reason, whatever reason, and you need to know there's a place for you, even you in the family of God, and at crosswinds. And there are some of you who know someone that that's been their experience, and, and your heart is tender toward them, and I wanna just, I wanna say to you, listen to that tenderness. That is the Holy Spirit calling you to run to this chariot. That feeling you have is God sending you a message, and you get to tell someone about God's plan for them, including his gift of grace. And again, there may be some of you that, that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, and I would just remind you, yes, what makes the gospel offensive is who it lets in. That's what's always made it uncomfortable. And maybe you're supposed to wrestle with that discomfort. Actually, I think that discomfort might even be an invitation to something God might want to show you about you and him. I want to ask you to stand with me, and um, I'm going to call an audible. Uh, we were supposed to pray right now, and I just felt very prompted as we were uh, getting up to preach, it's kind of why I left for a minute, to ask Sophia to come back out and just lead us in the chorus of one of the songs we sang. And so would you just join her as she leads us in this for a moment? I think God might have something in this that he wants to speak to you this morning. 
as she's getting ready, I'll just ask you to bow your heads and, and we'll just pray. God, we are so grateful that you look at us and you call out to us and, and you say, I chose you. I don't forsake you. I haven't abandoned you. Even you are included in my family. God, we praise you for that.